0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The topic this episode is voting. How should Catholics weigh the issues? What is a well-formed conscience, and how does one develop it? What does the common good mean? Bishop explains all this and more. If you have a question for him to answer on a future episode, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. While you're there, check out our Truth in Charity episode archives. There's more than 100 shows to listen to, anytime and anywhere. Share your favorite with a friend.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop, Bishop Kevin C. Rhodes of the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese. Thanks for being here.
2: You're welcome, Kyle. Always fun to be with you.
1: Are you having fun as a bishop?
2: You know... I'd say most days. Yes. (laughs) Not every day. Not every day is
1: fun. Uh, But
2: definitely Redeemer radio is fun.
1: Oh, right. Right. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, something that I think is important that we talk about, especially this year is going to be constantly. We'll be talking about politics. It's going to be constantly in the news. Uh, The election towards the end of the year will be a very big one. And, maybe not to minimize the election in non-presidential years, but uh, always a a bigger turnout for the presidential election. I think it's important that we talk about the politics and how we should be framing politics as Catholics. And we recently got a question that I think will be a good kind of a jumping off point to this topic. And so I thought I'd just read that. It's a little bit longer, but check us out. I'm sorry to ask a political question, but this is something that keeps coming to my mind. I have been hearing in different Catholic radio shows about the recent USCCB meeting in Baltimore and the forming consciences for faithful citizenship. I know abortion is the preeminent issue Catholics need to keep in mind for the upcoming elections. And because of how political parties work in the US, that pretty much tells you which candidate you need to vote for because he is, quote, pro-life. However, I cannot in good conscience vote for that candidate because of the way he has treated and referred continuously to my people. I cannot in good conscience vote for someone who has referred to my husband, father, brother, fellow parishioners, and friends as rapists, drug dealers, the worst of the worst, etc., has children in cages, separated from their parents who are simply trying to find a better life for their children, has enticed violence against my people, etc., To me, that candidate is against abortion, but is not truly pro-life, because someone that is truly pro-life defends and respects all of life, not just the unborn. So my question is, what should people like me do? I have had this conversation with other Hispanic Catholics, and we wonder if we should just not vote or what we should do during the upcoming elections. Thank you, Bishop. Que Dios le bendiga siempre. Gracias. Thank you to um,
2: the caller. I would, um, this is a question that came up a lot in 2016. Mm-hmm. In that year, that uh, presidential election year, I gave various talks basically on faithful citizenship. By the way, for those listeners who, who may not be familiar with the uh, document of the U.S. bishops, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. I highly recommend your reading it and reflecting on it. It's a call to political responsibility from the Catholic bishops of the United States. And we are reissuing the same document. Uh, We really haven't changed the document. It's very, I think, very well written. A lot of good guidance. What is new is like last time, we have a new introduction, an introductory note, because we want to highlight particular issues that, you know, have arisen or are prominent since the last election. And Mm -hmm. I was one of the bishops that worked on that introductory note. There was a small committee and uh, it was approved by... Uh, the U.S. bishops at our last meeting in November. So I recommend, and people can get it on the USCCB website, uh, to read the new introductory note. Okay. But back to the caller's question, first of all, I would say that it, it, I, I'm very happy that the, the caller really has formed a good conscience. Mm-hmm. And I think I noticed that back in 2016, so many faithful Catholics Who were really uh, struggling Mm -hmm. over who to vote for, because as Catholics, they were studying church teaching. They were trying to make the right decision in voting, whether it was for the president or for other candidates. And many of them had questions similar to the collar because they were really torn especially if they found that both candidates in their conscience they felt was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. When we face difficult choices about how to vote, the most important thing is, as I mentioned, to have a well-formed conscience. I think one can say very clearly, as we bishops say in the document Faithful Citizenship, that a Catholic cannot vote for a candidate who takes a position in favor of an intrinsic evil Such as abortion or racism, Mm -hmm. if the voter's intent is to support that position. Right. At the same time, the bishops say that a voter should not use a candidate's opposition to an intrinsic evil to justify indifference or inattentiveness to other important moral issues involving human life and dignity. Hmm. So, if a person votes for someone because they're pro-choice, or pro-abortion, right. that would be formal cooperation and grave evil. That's very sinful. Um, where where a, a voter faces a dilemma would be if if all the candidates hold a position in favor of intrinsic evil, you know, who do you vote for? Mm-hmm. Or you look at other issues, uh, let's say, in addition to abortion and find that the... Um, their positions are are problematic keeping in mind that not all issues have the same moral weight mm-hmm. you know so
1: so one ends up struggling in his or her conscience um so imagining a scale i am looking at you put maybe three chips on this side but they're heavier chips and you've got 40 chips on this side but they're very light chips at what point do you say like okay is, is that can you Quantify it like that? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: that's okay. I mean, I think (laughs) you have to look at the gravity of the issue, like you mentioned, and its moral weight. Obviously, if we're talking about intrinsically evil acts, they have a special claim on our consciences. Mm -hmm. So things like abortion. We talk about that word preeminent, which the caller mentions. You know, we have a preeminent obligation to protect innocent human life from direct attack. Mm -hmm. So... That's really important. But then it comes to the issue of, well, a candidate's position on a single issue is not sufficient to guarantee a a voter's support, but a candidate's position on a single issue that involves an intrinsic evil, Mm -hmm. such as support for legal abortion or the promotion of racism, the bishops say, may legitimately lead a voter to disqualify a candidate from receiving support. Mm -hmm. I know many Catholics who in conscience can't vote for a candidate who is pro-choice.
1: Um, now can you, can you talk a little bit about intrinsic evils? You've mentioned abortion and racism. Are there other kind of hot button topics right now that are, would be considered intrinsic evil? And how is that different from other evils that wouldn't be called intrinsic evils? And can you give some examples? Yeah, I mean, intrinsic evils are
2: things that are always and everywhere wrong. Mm-hmm. Direct assaults on innocent human life, Mm -hmm. always wrong you know so you can think besides abortion well racism we talk i mentioned (laughs) but also things like terrorism and genocide other destructive things that are always and everywhere wrong euthanasia obviously is is um direct euthanasia is
1: always wrong um would torture yeah and would death penalty be considered that these days Torture would definitely be. Mm-hmm. Death
2: penalty, the church has made, and Pope Francis has made it clear, as John Paul did even before that, that circumstances today, you know, it's not necessary to have recourse to the death penalty mm-hmm. in order to protect society, but, but it would not be an intrinsic evil. We see in the history of the church that there are times where death penalty was allowed, but okay. but in the circumstances of today, the church has said, no, okay. it's not, not necessary so, I think it's really important, though, that one, you know, where some people like the caller struggle is there are other serious threats to human life and dignity. For example, just responding to those who are in dire poverty or mm-hmm. who lack access to health care. When there's an unjust immigration policy, these are not optional concerns, mm-hmm. these can't just be dismissed. Uh, so Catholics are urged to consider church teaching on these important issues but it can happen and getting back again to the to the caller's question that in conscience if I mean we have an obligation to vote I mean that's a moral obligation but at the same time what can happen in this situation is the person is in such a dilemma that they can respond in a couple different ways uh one is that they decide not not to vote now Mm -hmm. is that legitimate well if a person can't resolve the problem in their conscience Mm -hmm. i think it is but then i still think they should go to the voting booth and because there's other
1: candidates sure other other offices
2: to vote on or one can vote for a third candidate party candidate who might be acceptable or mm-hmm. one can write in a candidate for mm-hmm. that matter but there are others who will go in and kind of say okay i don't have much of a choice here and i'm gonna vote for the lesser of two evils right because both candidates are morally have positions that are morally flawed but i think this one will do the less damage right. <laughs> or might advance some other good good causes whatever um and also, I think when one goes to vote, they should look at also a candidate's character and integrity, um, Maybe what's their ability to influence a given issue? Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, a decision has to be made by each Catholic guided by a conscience mm-hmm. that's been well-formed by Catholic moral teaching. The church doesn't tell people, uh, it doesn't get involved in the partisan politics or or tell people who to vote for we address the issues we need to be very clear on church teaching and the guidance that we give i think in forming consciences for faithful citizenship is very good guidance um one should look at the candidate's position on things that are really preeminent Mm -hmm. that are like we talked about intrinsic evils and one should also look at other issues that may not carry the same moral weight but are important issues as well Um, so anyhow i hope that's helpful
1: yeah i want to ask about having a well-formed conscience you've mentioned that several times and how do we know if our conscience is formed well and how what are some maybe suggestions on things that we can do but we'll talk about that coming up right here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union
0: What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we've been talking about politics and elections and how we as Catholics are to vote. Not necessarily who to vote for, but how to weigh the issues and, and what to be looking for in candidates and in political discussion. And the thing that keeps coming up is this idea of a faithful conscience. And before we get into how to form a a faithful conscience or, you know, how to know if we're there yet or if there's like a a, a scale that we can apply to it and say, I'm right now I'm at a seven and I I need to form my conscience more or something like that. Could two people with well-formed consciences vote for two different people or does any Catholic with a well-formed conscience would come to the same conclusions and vote for the same person?
2: Well, first of all, a judgment of conscience is one that is uh, with the virtue of prudence. So I think maybe to back up a little bit, we have to get away from the idea like many people have is is you know, your conscience is is like your feelings about something. Okay No, that's not it. A conscience is something that's formed by by reason and by church teaching, hopefully. It's not something that allows us to just justify our feelings about what we should do or shouldn't do you know when you look at it when you look at church teaching they speak of conscience as the voice of god resounding in the human heart revealing the truth to us and calling us to do what what is good and rejecting what is evil Mm -hmm. so we have to seriously strive to make good and sound moral judgments Mm-hmm. based on the truths of our faith. And this is also when it comes to politics, political choices, and voting. It's like other decision-making in our life. Mm-hmm. We're called to make prudent decisions in light of a well-formed conscience. Now, how do you form a well-formed, how do you form your conscience? Uh-huh. Well, first of all, you have, to desi- you have to have the desire to embrace what is the truth and goodness, And how does that begin? Well, a Catholic needs to be willing and open to seek the truth and to seek what's right by studying sacred scripture, by studying the teaching of the church, and then also to then examine the facts, the background information about various choices, and then to pray about it, you know, reflecting in prayer. That's how we discern the will of God. And when we fail to form our consciences in this way, in the light of the truths of the faith and moral teachings of the church, we can make erroneous judgments. So, you look at different alternatives, let's say, considering which candidate to vote for, or let's say you're thinking about whether to support a piece of legislation mm-hmm. or not, especially when I think of our... Our elected representatives, hopefully, they're voting right. according to their conscience. It's very important that Catholic elected officials uh, do so. Then you get to what's called prudence. That means discerning in a particular situation. You look at the different alternatives, and then you have to determine what's, what's the best thing to do. Who's the best candidate to, to uh, how one should vote on a piece of legislation or how one should vote in a political election. You know, we have to look at public policies and say, is this morally okay? Mm-hmm. You asked about people having different opinions. Well, people can have a well-formed conscience, but then in prudence, arrive at different judgments mm-hmm. regarding the best means, for example, to respond to poverty, right? you know, or something like that. But, but the principles are the same for both people. You know, the principles of Catholic moral and social teaching. Now, there aren't different judgments that can be made about intrinsic evils, you know, like abortion or euthanasia because the taking of innocent human life is always and everywhere wrong. So we're talking there about the issues, but when it comes to which candidate to vote for, that's a whole nother matter, but you still have to use the virtue of prudence.
1: But it seems like the people that would be pro euthanasia or pro abortion are doing so because they think that that's the right thing to do, that they, they think that it's a good, most of them aren't doing it because they want to do something wrong, but their conscience isn't formed well. Correct. Correct. So, but they think it is, or, you know, maybe
2: some are acting against their conscience. Yeah. Maybe they, so they, I, I you know what I, I mean? They could know what 's right and wrong and choose not to follow right it, you know that, or like you said, it could be that they don 't have a well formed conscience
1: so how do we know if we 're doing the right thing because we f- think like, oh this is we, we can justify so many things that we do I think we have to be honest
2: before God I mm-hmm. mean, and someone has to be humble, for example, I, I think one of the problems is is the loyalty to one's political party mm-hmm. trumping what is the truth right. you know um i think that that's very wrong is one first a democrat first a republican or first you know a christian right and i think some candidates in order to get elected can compromise mm-hmm. on this and that's very sad it takes courage if one's going to say well i'm not going to change my position I'm going to take a position different than my political party and, and I have to suffer for it. Right. You know, I might not get elected because of it. Right. But in the end, that's the judgment that's going to matter, not the judgment of the voters or the party. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the judgment of God.
1: So this is getting into Catholic politicians. Then do you think we need more faithful Catholics to go into politics?
2: Yes, Definitely. I mean I've said I wish we had another political party. Yeah. I don't you know because when you look at the party platforms there are certain things that are very unacceptable t- to to us as Catholics. I I wish we had enough support to have another political party but but getting to um I think there is actually one but I don't hear much about it. I think it's called the Solidarity Party which really is a a party that has more adherence to catholic social and moral teachings okay i don't know where they're at as far as numbers or mm-hmm. but i've never hear about them in the news of course but anyhow i think we are in a in a challenging situation um i would say that maybe having more faithful catholics could perhaps influence one political party or the other hmm. and to work towards maybe changing a problematic part of their platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember years ago when there were many pro-life Democrats mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in Pennsylvania there were a lot, but through the years they've been more and more ostracized and there's fewer of them. Yeah. And I think if one looks at the Republican Party too, I mean, on some of the other important issues of of Catholic social teaching, to have Catholics in the Republican Party who, for example, are committed to comprehensive immigration reform Mm -hmm. you know and following church teaching on the rights of of migration and migrants i mean there's a lot of things we could talk about and i'm a protection of the environment is another issue if you look at that new introductory note that the bishops have to the faithful citizenship document we do talk about some of these important issues and you know when you finish reading it you're thinking well, neither political party really is reflecting all of this. Um, and again, our preeminent priority, because it directly attacks life itself, is the threat of abortion. Mm-hmm. But we don't ignore or dismiss other important issues, like racism or the environmental crisis or poverty, or the death penalty for that matter. And then we talk about the problems of 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 inhumane treatment of of migrants or refugees. Um, We talk about the barriers to those seeking refuge and asylum, the issue of the the dreamers and the TPS holders. That's the temporary protected status holders. I mean, all of these things are really important to us in light of the teaching of Christ and Mm -hmm. the teaching of the church. We need leadership that does put the life and dignity of the human person and the common good at the forefront. So I think it's really important that Catholics be involved, Mm -hmm. not only in voting, but in running for office and bringing their faith with them, as well as, you know, this consistent moral framework so that we build a better nation, better community, you know? So I'm, yeah, so I'm sorry I went on. No,
1: well, maybe we should take a break. And when we come back, I'm kind of curious the process of writing that introduction You mentioned that you were part of that team of writing this introduction. I'm kind of curious how you do that as a a group of bishops and what are some of the things that you consider and and how you collaborate. And so maybe you could share a little bit of that. Uh, Also, the idea of then educating ourselves on the candidates and their positions and how important that is. Uh, If you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260 436-9598 and coming up we'll continue our conversation about voting as catholics on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about politics and how to form a conscience so that we can vote well and vote faithfully. And you mentioned the USCCB's document, Forming Conscience for Faithful Citizenship, which you said was available on the website, the USCCB website and that there's a new introduction. Is is that done every four years with the election that they update that introduction? We have been, you know, we decide at the time whether we need
2: to do a okay. new introduction or there was some talk of of redoing the whole document. There were some bishops who thought, that the document's getting a little old, that we should start, you know, and just do a new document. But the majority of us felt that, no, it's very relevant. Mm-hmm. We don't need a new document. But we can update it through an, a new introduction, Okay, which is what we did.
1: So before we get into some of the contents of that introduction, what is that process like? How, well, let's start with how long does it take to <laughs> update an introduction uh, to a document?
2: It took us many, many months uh-huh. uh, because... First of all, we work off different drafts. So we start with, you know, the composition of a draft. We give some input to our staff of what we would like to be in it. They come up with a draft. Okay. And then we work off that draft to improve it, to add to it, to, uh, and then we, we send it out to get, um, I'm trying to think, did we, no, it's nor- nearer the end of the process where we actually send like the final draft to the whole body of bishops so that then we can get input from any bishop who wants to give input. And then we might accept some of their recommendations, some we might reject. So, like, we met at the beginning of the USCCB November meeting, and we had conference calls, too, in the course Uh of the preceding month. So, So there's a lot of input. So it went through multiple drafts. And then at the end, we have to finally, like, say okay do you approve or not approve and there was a final vote i don't remember i mean our committee uh all approved it but then the the whole body of bishops had to to vote on it and there was even a debate on the floor of the bishops conference um, general meeting in Baltimore in November because hmm. there were some bishops who still didn't like it but you know but sooner or later you're not you know we didn't get 100% Yeah, I forget what the vote was but some still objected to certain things or they wouldn't vote for it maybe because they wanted something dropped or they wanted something else added so you know you have to kind of come to a vote in the end
1: so sure. it got a significant majority i remember um, do you remember any of the issues that you had submitted as suggestions on what should be in the new draft
2: oh yeah i mean i did have some input
1: um you know i wanted to make sure that um
2: that religious freedom was mentioned uh, uh-huh. so that was something that uh that they agreed when you start going at essential at particular issues, you know can go on forever. Mm-hmm. So we really have to say, okay, what are our priority issues in our nation at this time? And mm-hmm. So I think you know you had to we had to get to some kind of uh, consensus on that, and I think we did.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the things that are mentioned in the introduction? Then, the well, final. I think it's really
2: important that um, first of all we we wanted to to use pope francis and because he's had a lot of teaching that since the last election so in the past four years certain issues that that have been of a very serious concern to pope francis we wanted to make sure okay what what do we need to highlight for the the situation in the church in the united states right. and so we because he's uh, speaking to a global audience and some things right. might not apply right and there was one quote of his that um that we decided to include because there's so many things you know yeah and as a matter of fact there were uh, there was one prominent bishop who was very strong that we needed to quote him more but we didn't want this to be a long you know if it gets too long, people aren't going to read it. So, you know, we had to be say, okay, what's going to really get at the, the thing we want to quote from Pope Francis. That'll be most helpful to us. (laughs) So we took a, a part of his, um, I think it was an apostolic exhortation called rejoice and be glad. It came out a few years ago. And in that document, he said, your identification with Christ and his will involves a commitment to build with him, that kingdom of love, justice, and universal peace. You cannot grow in holiness without committing yourself, body and soul, to giving your best to this endeavor. The call to holiness, Pope Francis wrote, requires a firm and passionate defense of the innocent unborn. Now, that was very important because some people will say, oh, Pope Francis doesn't emphasize abortion enough. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make clear what the Pope has said. He yeah. sa- as I just mentioned, he says in that statement, he says it other places too, but he says in that statement that the call to holiness requires a firm and passionate defense of the innocent unborn. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to, s- to state that equally sacred are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned, and the underprivileged, Mm -hmm. the vulnerable, infirm, and elderly, exposed to covert euthanasia, the victims of human trafficking, new forms of slavery, and every form of rejection. (laughs) So, using that, you know, that quote, I think we bishops are, are kind of highlighting the fact that we're concerned about human life and dignity. This is the first of the great principles of Catholic social teaching. You can't pursue the common good unless there is a, a firm commitment to the dignity of life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really, really important. And, um, and then we go on in the document to talk about different issues. And, and really, we begin with the threat of abortion as a preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself. Now, there were some bishops who objected to the use of preeminent in that phrase, and so that was debated, but the great majority felt that we needed to continue to say that because it attacks life itself directly. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we say that we can't dismiss or ignore other serious threats to human life and dignity. So, we mentioned things like racism, the environmental crisis, poverty, the death penalty, then we go on to talk about immigration, refugees, religious freedom, global peace, gun violence. I mean, there are a lot of issues that we, we bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I think it's a good introduction. Uh, it's really a call to faithful citizenship in prayer as well as action and that it's as part of living out the call to holiness and building Christ's kingdom of love. So I really do encourage people to prayerfully read the introduction and also mm-hmm. to study the document itself. I think it can be very helpful for people who, especially during this year, when there's going to be a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, of angry rhetoric out there, there's a lot of division and polarization, which we're obviously concerned about, there's a difference between good, healthy, respectful debate and civility and, you know, getting down to name-calling and, right. and vicious attacks. So hopefully following our guy, the guidance of the bishops, the guidance of the church, we can avoid falling into that temptation mm-hmm. and instead really focus on the common good, the life and dignity of human person, and working together to build up The moral character of our society
1: you mentioned a bunch of issues that were in the introduction everything from uh, abortion and religious liberty and gun violence is that list in there comprehensive is there a comprehensive list or are the number of issues so many that we couldn't list them all is it like make a checklist of like yes or no for each candidate of these 20 50 100 things or yeah the list is
2: not exhaustive okay i think we made a good effort to point out what we would consider priorities okay. uh, but you know i could i could imagine someone pointing out well you missed this one sure. you know sure. um, i would answer it's not an exhaustive list okay um
1: yeah all right well i want to talk a little bit more about keeping up with the news and maybe some of the dangers and pitfalls of that as well if you have any questions you can go to redeemer radio.com slash ask bishop where you can also find past episodes of the show you can call or text the holy cross college text line with your question 260-436-9598 and coming up we'll have more about how to vote as catholics right here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who's been giving us a great kind of crash course into how to form a conscience, especially within the context of voting for political candidates. Uh, But also, you mentioned the importance of not getting too obsessed with some of the, the negativity that goes into politics. And I imagine the two extremes would be either we completely ignore the news and the debates and... We don't know what the different candidates stand for, so we're not really educated on the issues whenever we go into the voting booth. The other extreme, and I've seen this happen with people, is you get so absorbed into it and obsessed with the news and the negativity that often goes along with it, that it really just kind of takes over your life and and can really make you a a bitter person sometimes I've seen with with some people. Uh, Is there a balance between these two, and where do we find that? Good
2: question. You know, definitely we have to seek a balance because, yeah, we have an obligation to know the views of the candidates. We need to know about the issues that are being debated. I do like to watch the debates. Some Mm -hmm. people may not, but I like to hear what the candidates say directly rather than filtered through news people. Also, to kind of know clearly what the position of a candidate is but the other extreme is just getting so wrapped up in this and maybe just reading stuff that you know i know some people who will they're on a particular side and you know they just get so absorbed and they they're just listening to one particular news outlet or something and you know i think that that's not necessarily helpful that one should also try to understand it and really take care that your news source is, is um, trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to be careful not to just take as truth everything that we hear mm-hmm. or see in social media., yeah. uh, so we need to look at a candidate's voting record, mm-hmm. you know? Or, as I said, hear what they have to say in a debate Mm -hmm. how they respond to certain questions i think is helpful but i i do think it can become excessive and if one isn't careful it could interfere with one's other responsibilities in life sure because they get so caught up and that can happen with anything but also uh, it can happen with
1: politics yeah so in addition to a presidential election where there is a lot of information about the candidates out there especially as we get closer to election day on the other elections that we might have, whether it be, you know, state or in your city or county, sometimes it's very difficult to find information about these candidates. And sometimes I've, I've been like the day election day, I'm scrambling to find what either of these two candidates stand for what their their platforms are and especially in a small town sometimes they don't do a whole lot on social media or have a website or uh, you can't find newspaper articles that they've done interviews or something like that but it's still important for us to research those other things and not just say this is a presidential election Uh, i know who i'm voting for and then be surprised by all of these ballots and just skip 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 hit done uh, I agree with you. I mean, that's
2: happened to me where I've gotten gone in the voting booth, and I have no idea about some of the other candidates. So I think it is good for us to maybe, you know, even thinking about it now, say, okay, I'm going to make an effort before the election to find out about these other candidates. Because again, it may not be as exciting or as uh, or as easy to to uh, find, but to do some diligence with some due diligence to find out so that we can vote responsibly on other for other offices yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, one thing we do have a couple minutes here and there's a thing that you've mentioned a couple times and that's the common good. And I was kind of wondering if you could break that down a little bit for us of, of what that means. Maybe a little obvious that no, oh, it's good for everybody, uh, but right. as Catholics, what do we mean when we say common good? Yeah, well, there actually is a
2: definition in the catechism, and it's, it comes from the Second Vatican Council document, gallium et Spez. Huh. Um, it basically defines the common good as the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or as individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. Hmm. Um so it has to do with the life of everybody and there's really three essential components to it but i'd say it presupposes common good presupposes the principle of respect for the life and dignity of the human person so that's again the first and fundamental principle of catholic moral and social teaching and therefore you know public officials are bound to respect the fundamental and inalienable rights of the human person Hmm. you can't even talk about the common good if that principle isn't respected, the right to life and the right to religious freedom, the right to fulfill one's own vocation, that's just so fundamental. Moving on, the common good requires the social well-being and development of the group. And when I think about that, I think of two principles of Catholic social teaching that are both very important. One is subsidiarity, the other is solidarity. And John Paul gave a very good Pope John Paul II gave a really good definition of subsidiarity, Mm -hmm. that a community of a higher order should not interfere in the internal life of a community of a lower order, depriving the latter of its functions, but rather should support it in case of need and help to coordinate its activity with the activities of the rest of society, always with a view to the common good. That was a quote from one of his great encyclicals, Centesimus Annus. So, part of human dignity is that, you know, we also respect this principle of subsidiarity, that a community of a higher order shouldn't interfere in the internal life of a community of a lower order. Of course, the most fundamental group is the family mm-hmm. it's the first unit of society and it should be defended the family needs to be strengthened not undermined by the state and then also even when you look at smaller local more local institution the, the state shouldn't interfere you know if a now they could be involved if let's say a community or institution of a lower order doesn't adequately protect human dignity then the state should intervene but Generally, you know, should respect the rights of the smaller group. The other yeah. principle is really important, solidarity. It's all you have to do is read the Gospels. <laughs> that we're called to be in solidarity with everyone. That means justice, it means charity. Uh, I always loved when uh, the name for the labor movement in Poland during, when it was under communist imp- uh, oppression was Solidarność, which means solidarity, because it was inspired by Catholic social teaching. It was inspired by the teachings of Pope John Paul II. That. Was we have to be concerned about our fellow human beings and their well-being, especially the poor. So solidarity—it's just not—it's not just like having some kind of vague compassion, or you know, it's too bad that they're poor or something like that, or the misfortunes of people in our country or in other countries. It means that we're determined to do something about it. This is part of commitment to the common good. That's commitment to the good of of individuals because we're really responsible for Mm -hmm. we are our brother's keeper right so we should be concerned about our fellow americans who are poor or we should be concerned about immigrants we should be concerned about those who are sick and can't get health insurance or we Mm -hmm. can be the people who are persecuted in the world because of their faith so solidarity is an important principle for us and it's also a virtue the popes have said there's no true peace unless there's solidarity and and that gets to the issue of peace you know the common good requires peace that's the stability the security of a just order so that's one of civil authority's primary duties is to secure the security of of the members of the society so this is the role of the state this is what our our civic officials should be uh, about is defending and promoting the common good and again there's not only the common good of Americans, our fellow Americans, mm-hmm. but there's a universal common good. okay? We are brothers and sisters of everyone in the human family. So we have a responsibility in politics uh, to look for the candidate who's really going to serve, best serve the common good. And that's one thing when we're voting, we should ask ourselves, okay, which of these candidates do I believe will best
1: serve? The common good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. I'll also mention if people want to hear more, you're going to be doing the Theology on Tap Tuesday night at six thirty, January 28th, talking about religion and politics. And so that's in Fort Wayne at Welch's Ale House. So people can check that January 28th. That's for young adults in their 20s and 30s, singled, married, whatever. Check it out. And then also, uh maybe refer people back to the October sixteenth, two thousand nineteen episode where you talked about social justice versus pro life, and and how there that it, as Catholics we can be and should be concerned with both. It's not a a one or the other. So again, that's October 16th, 2019 episode. So people can check that out as well. So thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our
2: help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle.
0: On the next episode of Truth in Charity, as we celebrate Catholic Schools Week, Bishop answers questions submitted by students at Bishop Dwinger High School in Fort Wayne. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.